Good morning. Glad to be here today to fellowship with you in the gospel and uh, share the word together. As we were just singing that song, uh, I was giving thanks for the opportunity God has given uh, my wife and me with uh, some of our neighbors, and I've shared a good bit with you about that in the past, but uh, the Good Friday service that we held here, we sang that song that we just did, His Robes for Mine, and uh, one, of the, one of the phrases in there is that Christ has propitiation, propitiation won. He earned it. He, he secured it. Propitiation, which is the payment of our sins for our sins and the satisfaction of the wrath of God. And uh, we had actually gone over that in our Bible study with our neighbors. So when they were here on that Good Friday, and we sang that song, and then we were sitting in here eating cookies afterward, I said to the, the men I was sitting there in that little conversation circle with, hey, you remember that word? Uh, we, we sang it in the, in the service there, and we talked about that, and I just kind of reminded them of what it meant. So uh, just that word itself contains so much gospel truth and not only for us to sing, but also for us to share. We're actually going to be in uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians this morning, so I'm going to invite you to turn there with me, the book of 1 Thessalonians. We completed our study of Romans 12 through 16, and uh, we're going to be preaching from just some, some selected texts during the weeks ahead, and today we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to talk about the word at work in you, the word at work in you. If you ever get a common cold, often you're looking for a remedy. And maybe somebody in your family or a well-meaning friend tells you what the remedy is, right? All kinds of, of possible remedies for the common cold. Of course, there's just medicine that you can take. There are solutions you can pour into a steamer or a vaporizer there are oils that you can rub on your body. There is tea that you can drink. There are greens that you can mix into a smoothie. There's juice that you can, can drink. Of course, get lots of rest. I remember when Zycam came out. So if you dissolve one of these little tablets in your mouth, when you feel the onset of a cold, it's supposed to reduce the severity of the cold. And I stand before you here as a witness today that none of them work. You agree with me? Anybody with me? Okay, maybe not. At least I haven't found the secret to um, eliminating the common cold. It just happens, and you just have to deal with it. Sure, maybe you can reduce the symptoms a little bit. Uh, but for me, I just have to deal with it and endure it. Well, I want to talk about the word at work in you and think in terms of the secret, if you will, to spiritual growth. Is there one particular element or component that can produce spiritual growth in your life. Now, of course, spiritual growth involves a combination of things, but I want to tell you that if there is a secret to spiritual growth, it involves the Word of God at work in your life. Now, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians, and uh, we'll be circulating through this little letter of Paul a little bit through our message today. We're going to focus on one particular text and we'll get that to that in just a minute. But first of all, look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 1, verse 3, where Paul says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of, God, of our God and Father. So he's commending these Christians on their spiritual growth, we would say, right? So they are, um, they, they are working, we would say working out their salvation, not working on their salvation, but as Paul says in Ephesians 2, working out your salvation. Um, so, so they're working, and that work that they are, are producing arises from their faith. There's also a labor, so it goes, goes beyond just work. It's, it's labor to the point of exhaustion that flows out of love and patience, or we would say endurance. So they're enduring through the trials of life and the persecution that they probably faced because of the hope they had in God. So, so they have experienced spiritual growth, and Paul's commending them on that. But now turn over to chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Because as he commends them on their spiritual growth, he is also challenging them to do something else. Let me show you what that is in chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So, is Paul, as, as we would say, uh, the spiritual leader in their lives, or one of the key spiritual leaders that they had, satisfied with the growth they had experienced? I mean, they were saved, they were, they were working out of, out of uh, faith, they were laboring in love, they were enduring in hope. Was he satisfied with that? No, what did he want for them? He wanted them to grow, didn't he? He wanted them to abound more and more. And, and that's just like, like adding exponential growth into their lives. Abounding, but then abounding more. And then on top of that, abounding even more. And that they would walk in a way that shows that they're growing spiritually. That it would affect their lives. It would transform the way they lived. And so that's how it should be for each of us, shouldn't it? We should not be content with just being saved. We should not be satisfied with experiencing basic spiritual growth and spiritual life and we would even say ministry for the Lord that's what they were doing he was saying they should be abounding they should be growing so so we're going to circle back now and and land in chapter 2 and verse 13 because here I think Paul is identifying what the secret to that spiritual growth is to not only those initial steps of spiritual growth but also growing even more and abounding in their life for God. So look at chapter 2, verse 13. By the way, I won't have points on the screen today. The points will be fairly simple. I'll try to highlight them for you so that you'll know what they are as we go. So look at verse 13 of chapter 2. He says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, now look at how he ends this sentence, which also effectively works in you who believe. So he commends them on their life and their ministry work and their endurance through trials, and, and he wants them to grow even more, and here he's identifying the key ingredient to that spiritual life and spiritual health and spiritual growth, and it is the word of God at work in you. 
I want to identify, first of all, the picture that Paul paints for us of the word at work in you, and then we will talk about the practices that access the word of God at work in you. So there you go, two simple main ideas we'll talk about this morning. Let's talk, first of all, about the picture of the word at work in you. Notice again the end of verse 13, he says, which also effectively works in you who believe. Now, it's helpful sometimes, not always, not always helpful to hear a Greek word, but sometimes it's helpful to hear a Greek word that's behind the English that we hear here. And I want you to hear it this morning, all right? So the Greek word behind effectually works is this, energeo, which sounds like what? Tell me out loud. Inner energy, exactly, or energetic, right? And, and that is definitely what's contained in, in the idea that Paul is conveying here. The word of God energizes spiritual life and spiritual growth. So this, this word that Paul uses it includes a picture that helps us understand the actual impact that the word of God can have in your life. And I want you to hear this. I want you to, to grasp this. I want you to, to develop this picture in your mind of the power of of God's word to work in you. So just listen to these scriptures. You can jot down references if you want to. I'm not going to turn to all of them, but just listen to how the word of God itself describes the power of God's word. The word of God, first of all, has the power to bring into existence the universe and everything in it. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, God spoke it all into existence out of nothing. 2 Peter 3, verse 5. For this they willfully forget, those who reject God, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. In other words, they came into being in ancient times, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. So there you have a picture of the, the energy of God's word. I mean, you, you, can, you can put gas in a car and it'll drive down the road. Um, you, can, you can take a, an atom and uh, I can't remember if it's fission or fusion, whatever, whatever is done to an atom to create a nuclear reaction and just the incredible power that comes through that. Well, think of, of the, the, the energy and the power that's contained in just the word of God, the thought of our infinite God that is articulated and it brings everything into existence and sustains it as well. But, but God's word also gives life and it gives spiritual life. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, Jeremiah says, Your words were found, and what did he do with them? He says, I ate them. 
I ingested them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And why do we eat something? Because it gives us energy. It produces life. Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, so God's word gives us life, not only physical life, but eternal life and spiritual life. And God's word energizes the spread of the gospel. And God's word brought the church into existence. God's word caused the birth of the New Testament church and the spread of the gospel. Listen to these three statements from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Then the word of God spread. And as a result of that, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So as, as the word of God spread, people were saved, the church grew. And even individuals that you might think would not believe and turn to Jesus did. Acts 12, verse 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And that's the idea of the, the impact and the influence of God's word. In Acts chapter 19, verse 20, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And the story of the book of Acts is the account of the, the impact of the spread of the word of God. In, in that case, specifically the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the truths of God's word. What power it brought into existence, the, the movement that swept across the known world and turned people to follow, to believe in and follow Jesus Christ. And on a very individual level, personal level, God's word is able to produce in you and in others new birth and spiritual life. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. And then Peter identifies what that incorruptible seed is that causes the new birth through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So praise the Lord, right? For the power of the word, the creative power, the life-giving power, the gospel-spreading, church-birthing, new birth-generating power of the word of God. So there is a picture of the work of God's word in us. It is energy. It is power. Now, now look again. We'll just, just uh, go a couple different places here in 1 Thessalonians. Look with me at, at um, chapter 1 again, 1 Thessalonians 1. Look at verse 5. So he says in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So as he talks about the word of God back in there in chapter 2, he's definitely including the gospel, which is the truth and the message that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead in power and victory. He ascended to heaven and he offers and promises eternal life and forgiveness of sins to anyone who will believe. That's the gospel, right? You know the gospel. So the word of God definitely includes that. And as he says, the, the word of God 
effectively worked in those who believe, he's, he's at least including that, the fact that they had heard the gospel and they had believed it. But it includes more than that. Look in chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. He says in, in chapter 2, verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the word of God to them was, was the gospel, but it was more than that, wasn't it? He instructed them, and along with that instruction from God's word came exhortation. He challenged them. He, he was a loving, caring father, but he was also a father that said, hey, here's the way you need to go in your life. And we know it was based on, based on the scriptures. As he says in 2 Timothy 3, the word of God is, is it's God-breathed, it's inspired, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for uh, doctrine, reproof, what's the next one? <laughs> Help me out. There we go, correction, thank you. And instruction in righteousness. So, so his exhortation is based on the truth of God's word. That's the basis for his exhortation. So, so the word of God at work in them included the gospel, but also the teaching, we would even say probably the discipling work that Paul did, right? That was based on God's word. So we see this picture of great power that God's word has to give life and to transform people's lives. Yes, it has, the, has power on a universal scale. Yes, it has power to, to cause a movement, but also it has power to work in every individual's life, to save and to bring growth to our individual personal lives. But we also see a practice because God's word is powerful, but it isn't enough for us just to stand back and say, wow, that's great. Yes, I agree. Sure, it's true. God's word has power. And what we see secondly here on the part of these, these people that, that Paul is identifying and commending is a practice, or we might say several practices that allow for or accommodate the, the work of the word in you. So let's look at these practices that Paul identifies, and there are four words in verse 13 that I want to highlight. Look at chapter 2, verse 13 again. He says, because when you, here's the first word, received the word of God, which you, second word, heard from us, you, third word, welcomed it, not as the word of men only, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who, fourth word, believe. So those are action words. Those words describe for us how these people responded to God's word in a way that allowed it to work in them, that accommodated the, the work of the word in their lives. We see them in, a, in, in order here in this, in this verse, received, heard, welcomed, and then believed. Probably the order in which it happened would have been to, to receive and hear and welcome, right? To, um, excuse me, to hear first, right? So they had to hear it first. So to hear, first of all, we hear the word, 
and to receive it, which we'll talk about, and to welcome it and to believe, to respond in faith. So they heard the word. Paul preached the gospel. And they heard it. It was their initial hearing of the gospel. And they continued to pay attention, didn't they? They continued to listen. Now, how about you? How about you? So once we hear the gospel, we get saved. Praise the Lord. I know I'm going to heaven. Maybe when you're a, at first you're a Christian and there's a, an interest in the scriptures and you know you need God's word to help you understand what it means to be a Christian and, and, and to help you to grow as a believer. But possibly after a few years go by or you've heard however many hundreds or thousands of sermons and Sunday school lessons and you hear podcasts and, and radio programs and, and recordings and it can become kind of rote, can't it? Almost ritualistic. And all of a sudden we find ourselves just not listening. Maybe you didn't intentionally tune it out, but just kind of drift and lose that sense of the need of God's word and appreciation for the power of the word of God in you. I mean, listening can involve paying attention in a, in a time like this, right, where God's word is being preached and, and taught. But it, it can also certainly involve those individual times when you sit down with the scriptures, whether it's first thing in the morning or sometime during the day or in the evening before you go to bed, and you personally expose your mind and your heart to the word of God just through reading it. And maybe doing whatever is necessary to, to bring, to corral and rein in your thoughts and eliminate distractions and leave your phone in the other room. Whatever is necessary so that you can just listen and pay attention to the word of God. It is that basic, isn't it? It's that simple. So hearing is one step. And then the idea of, of receiving. So they received it. This is a great word. It means to accept. In fact, in fact another way to think about it is to Take delivery. Think about it this way. Somebody sends you a very important package. And Federal Express or whoever shows up at your door, rings the bell, knocks on the door, you go to the door, and they say, I have a package for you, and it requires your signature. So for you to receive this package, you need to sign on this line and then you can have the package. And you say, well, sure, it must be important. And so I'll sign and I will take delivery. You make a conscious choice to take delivery of that package, right? It's not passive. They just leave it on the porch and you pick it up. It's a very active step that you take of, of receiving that delivery. That's the idea of this word. So they're not just kind of sitting back and saying, okay, yeah, maybe something will hit me. Maybe something will register. Maybe something will help me. No, they're, they're engaged and they are actively taking delivery of the word of God. Okay, yep, I need that. Oh, yeah, that's for me. Oh, I want to take that into my life. It's a very active role of, of receiving the word of God. So they were not merely listening passively, but they, they were actively receiving what Paul said. And, and again, there's a powerful lesson there for us, isn't there? So for God's word to work in you and me, we need to be actively receiving and saying, okay, I want that. That's for me. What is God saying to me through his word, through that lesson, through that message, through my reading today? So this, this tells us a couple of things. First of all, 
to, to benefit from the life-giving, life-changing power of the Word of God, you must be in a place where you can hear it, where you can hear it. Whether that is a service like this one, or times through the week when you read it for yourself, or you listen to the scriptures being read, that's another great way to take the Word into your life, to listen to the scriptures, some audio version of the Word of God or discussing it with other people, whether, whether with a friend or with family or other believers in the church setting and have conversations around the Word of God where you are engaging with the Word. You're putting yourself in a place where you hear it. And this also tells us that to benefit from the life-giving, life-changing power of the Word, you must be in an attitude of receiving it. So, so listening is important. That would be the action but there also needs to be that attitude of receiving it. What is God saying to me? What does God have for me from this message? And again, not to just come into a service like this passively, or I hope the preacher has something good to say today, or keeps me awake, or tells some good stories, or, or sitting down in the morning, or whenever you have your devotion time, and saying, oh, where am I reading today? Okay, here we go, read, check it off, fall asleep, wake up. But there's an active engagement. God, what do you have for me today? Now, there's another part of this practice that Paul identifies. He uses another great word. So he says, you heard, you received, and then he says, you welcomed it. And, and what, a, what a great description. Not as the word of men. So, so it goes to another level, a completely different way of thinking about it. It is in truth the word of God which effectively works in you who believe. So, let's say the FedEx person comes to the door and asks for your signature. You say, you know what? Uh, it's kind of late in the day. You've been working hard. We're just sitting down to dinner. I mean, you want to come in? <laughs> you want to come in and, and have supper with us? It's like, that's weird. Probably can't because he's on a schedule, you know, has to keep moving. But that's the attitude. I mean, who does that, right? Who would do that? That'd be kind of strange. Hey, you might do that with your neighbor or family member or friend. You what? You welcome them in. That's the idea of, of this word. So it's not, again, it's not just kind of being passive, not even just listening in, intently and attentively and engaging. It's more than that. It's saying, you know what? I want this in my life. It's welcoming, not just the information, oh, I'm learning something new, but welcoming the work that God's word can and will do in you. It's saying, God, I want this, I need this, I welcome this. And the motivation behind it is, oh, this is not just common language or, or some information this is the word of the living God. This is the word of the God who created, the God who gives life, the God who saves, the Lord Jesus who died for me and rose again. These are his words. So certainly I should pay attention to them. So Paul is saying something very important here. He is claiming that the content of his preaching and teaching to them was a message from God. 
I'll tell you, as a preacher, sometimes it feels a little strange to get up in front of, get up in, front of a group of people and say, you know what, I'm going to tell you what God says. I'm going to tell you what you should do with your life because of what God says. In fact, in the world, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty bizarre, right, for somebody to do that. It's like you're a little bit nutty if you say you're going to do that. I'm going to speak for God. But you know what's amazing? When we have the scriptures, that's exactly what we can do. As long as we discern the meaning of what the scriptures tell us, what, what God is saying through the scriptures, we can actually do that. Not coming to you, not a preacher coming to you with some lofty, you know, view of himself and talking down to people, but just saying, hey, we, we all have the word. And as we study the word and, and somebody is dedicated, dedicating their hours and their time and their life and their mind, and God gifts some people to be able to do that even, even further to say, here's what God is saying to us. Wow, that's powerful, isn't it? And oh, should we pay attention? In fact, let me show you something. Look over at the book of 1 Peter for a minute. I want to show you one of my favorite little places in the Bible, especially related to ministry, and specifically the ministry of the Word of God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. So in 1 Peter 4, Peter is talking about how God has given to various people abilities to serve in the body of Christ. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, 1 Peter 4, verse 10, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Now, there's an unusual word. You might read that in, I don't know, some kind of a fantasy novel or watch see it in some mythological movie or, or something an oracle what is an oracle well in, in in common use or language it's it's the idea of of a place where where you hear a voice and there is some kind of supernatural message being transmitted in that place or or through that individual let's say all right in Scripture, it's a very specific word. And again, I'm going to share a Greek word with you. So the Greek word for word is logos, which means message. This is a form of that word with, with one little difference. It's logia, which is the idea of an individual message within the overall message. The Bible contains, the Bible is the logos. It's the word of God. It's the message of God to us. But here, what Peter is saying is, hey, for those of you who teach, those of you who lead Bible studies, those of you who disciple with the word of God, disciple others, those of you who preach the Bible, make sure that what you say directly represents the message. In fact, the message is within the message of God's word. Make sure that you are faithful what God's word is actually saying to his people. So there's a weight of responsibility on any of us, right, who teach, who preach God's word. But the flip side of that is that if you're a listener, if you're a learner, if you're a Christian who's paying attention and growing, 
What a blessing that as you listen to those teachers and those preachers of God's word, that you are receiving a message from God. Not that my words or the teacher's words are God's message to you, but the idea is that within those is being channeled to you what God wants you to hear and what God wants you to know from his word. So, so there's a responsibility, but again, there is also a privilege and a blessing in listening and growing from and learning those. So the word of God at work in your life implies to us or requires of us that we hear it, that we receive it, that we welcome it, that we receive it for what it is, the word of God, and that we believe it, right? That we trust God, not only for salvation, but also trust him and the work that his word does in us. Now, just want to read the, the verses following. So back here in 1 Thessalonians 2 and, and acknowledge that just because you let God's word work in you doesn't mean that only good things are going to happen, right? Because look at what Paul says starting in verse 14. So we're in chapter 2 now, verse 14. He says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus, how did they become imitators? How, how were their lives like the ones um, in, in Judea where the, where the church began, Jerusalem, the surrounding area? Oh, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they do not please God and are contrary to all men. So what happened? There was suffering, wasn't there? They faced severe persecution because of their faith in God and because they followed Jesus Christ. So the word at work in you and me doesn't mean that life is just going to get nice and pleasant and peaceful and all of that. Oh, there are many blessings. There is great joy, but there is also suffering and even persecution. Pain caused by other people who are hostile toward you because of the way that you live. And those are tests, aren't they? Those reveal whether or not your faith is real. Whether or not you are truly following the Lord or you're just in it for the benefits. And they are catalysts for your growth, right? They, they generate growth in you. And they, they put you in a position where you have to depend on God and you trust him and you believe his word and you allow it to change you even more. So, if you have been through or are going through painful experiences, the word of God is still at work in you, isn't it? It is still changing you and transforming you. Now look, look back at verse 13 again, chapter 2. So I want to repeat this phrase. In fact, I'm going to read the whole verse again. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. That's a very positive statement, isn't it? He's stating a fact. In fact, I would call it a promise. This is a promise. 
that God's word will work in you. Those people had problems just like you and I have challenges in life. They had conflicts, some of them in their marriages, with family members, with, with unbelievers in the community. They experienced discouragement. They had despair. Uh, they were separated from people that they loved. Uh, they were surrounded by a pagan culture and all the influences of that. They felt temptation. They sometimes certainly were tempted to give up or to walk away. Um, all, all kinds of challenges that they faced, right? That we face as well. But they allowed the word of God to work in them. And there was the promise. It will work in you. It will accomplish what God intends. It will produce growth. It will help you to increase and abound more and more. And then just circle back to chapter 4, verse 1 again. And this will be one more action word. Not from verse 13, but again another action word. What do we do with all this? Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, we urge and exhort you to abound more and more as you receive from us how you ought to walk. So it's not enough just to hear it, just to receive it, or even to welcome it, or, or believe it. But we need to let it change us, don't we? And live our lives accordingly and walk differently. So the secret to growing to progressing, to enduring, to ministering, and abounding is the word of God at work in you. I'd like you to think about it this way. What step do you need to take or maybe even retake today? Maybe you need to go from being just a listener to the gospel, hearing the gospel, hearing that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, to becoming a believer. So you've heard it. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone and his sacrifice in your place who died for your sins and rose again to save you and give you eternal life? If not, believe in him today. Trust in Jesus Christ to save you. Maybe you need to go from a believer to one who not just once or occasionally but constantly is receiving and welcoming the word in fact, maybe you've just kind of fallen back into a lackadaisical, half-hearted, passive attitude with the Word of God. And you would say, you know what? I need to go from being not just a listener, not even just a believer, but somebody who is receiving. And yes, I need this. I want this. Come on in. Do your work in me. Transform me. Change me. And renew that attitude of desire and hunger and love and passion for the word of God. Whether it's personal devotions or listening to sermons or whatever that is. Maybe you need to go from being just a receiver and a welcomer to somebody who walks in the word. Walks according to God's word. Not only hearing what God's word says, but putting it into practice. Doing what it says. And the Holy Spirit guides you in that, doesn't he? You know your struggles. You know your temptations. You know your choices. You know the habits that you fall back into. You, you know the, the heartaches and the heartbreaks. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves, all right, you know what? I just need to trust God's word. I was working through something this past week. I, I texted a good friend of mine, another man in ministry. I said, hey, uh, would you just pray for me about this? You know what he did? He said, I'm praying for you. And he sent me a verse reference. He said, take this with you. 
perfect verse reference from Psalm 143. I saved it in a picture. I look at it. I've looked at it repeatedly this past week. He just sent me the word of God, and it's a reminder to me to not only just pray and and think and trust, but do what God's word is guiding me to do, to walk in the word. And that is what we need, isn't it? God's word at work in you. Father, we ask that this would be true of us. Help each of us, I pray, to be in the position where we can respond to what you're doing in our lives through your precious word, through the word of God that has such power. And so we ask you for your help. We trust the Holy Spirit to enable us to do this. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.